Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So we're doing a short sermon series on Thanksgiving hymns. I believe here at Goodwill Church, we've done it on Christmas hymns in the past, but uh, this Sunday and the Wednesday, if you're going to the Thanksgiving Eve service at Montgomery, and then the Sunday after that, we'll be looking at three Thanksgiving hymns, and the story behind it and the sermon text uh, will flow out of the scripture verses that were used for the hymn. So if you have your Bibles with you, let me ask you to open up to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, and if you're able to stand, let's all rise for the reading of the word. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. Thank you, Lord, for these words. As we draw our attention to them this morning, Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts, open up our minds and our ears, help us to hear from you, help us to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Over the past few decades, churches moved away, well, not all churches, a lot of churches moved away from hymns and introduced a lot of contemporary worship songs. So even today, we sang a lot of thank you songs um, that are more contemporary. But prior to that, in the hymnal sections, there is a thanksgiving section. And a lot of times, especially here in America, um, the Sunday before Thanksgiving is when we tend to sing a lot of Thanksgiving hymns. Uh, I'll confess to you, I'm not really familiar with a lot of the Thanksgiving hymns, but the Thanksgiving hymn that we're going to look at today is called, Now Thank We All Our God. Anybody know that hymn? Now Thank We All Our God. All right. I'm not going to ask for a solo today. So, but if you... All right. But I went to YouTube, and I, I searched the hymn, and a lot of the hymns are majestic, uh, especially the version of this. There's one in Westminster Abbey that they did, and a lot of the churches have big choirs with the pipe organs, 
And there's something about when you listen to hymns with pipe organs, it's just, it sounds great. It sounds majestic. And when we think about Thanksgiving, that's what we think about, right? We think about the blessings that God has given us, and our hearts are just filled with thanksgiving. And when we think about what the Lord has done for us, then all we want to do is sing and praise His name. Now, that hymn that we're going to be looking at was written by a pastor named Martin Rinkart, if I'm saying that right. And he wrote it in the 1600s. And many believe that it was written during the Thirty Years' War. Now, if you're not familiar with the Thirty Years' War, it's a war that took place in Germany, and it was a religious war between the Catholics and the Protestants. And it was widespread, it was a deadly war, because all wars are deadly. There's a lot of destruction, and there's a lot of suffering. So in the midst of this war, or maybe soon after the war, this hymn was written. So a lot of times we have to understand the context of how this song was birthed. And it was in the midst of utter destruction and suffering. So if you're going through a period of that, of destruction and death and suffering, it's so difficult to be thankful to God. And yet this is that song. So instead of picturing a warm Thanksgiving meal, Here's what is written in the history of hymns. Picture this instead. A minister and his family sing this hymn before dinner to thank God for the scraps of food they have on the table in their meager home in a desolate refuge city that is afflicted with famine and disease and war. This hymn was certainly written during or soon after the Thirty Years' War. So that's the backdrop of this hymn. And imagine these words coming out. So, Verse 1, it says, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices. Who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with our countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Wow. Here's verse 2. O may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us with perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. And then verse 3 is like a doxology. It's like a Gloria Patri. And verse 3 says, All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in the highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. So it ends with a doxology of sorts. So that's, that's the hymn. And when you, nowadays, the scholars have uh, did the research to see what scripture verses 
were used to write this hymn, and there are so many. And let me just show you the section of, that comes just from the Psalms. Right? From the Psalms, we see all these references. Right? And the one you see highlighted there, it's hard to read, but that's Psalm 63, verse 4. And Psalm 63, verse 4 says this, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So lifting up hands, blessing you, blessing God. So this, is, this verse is talking about worship. It's talking about praise. It's talking about adoring God. And so we're going to look at how and why David is uttering these words in his song. If you look at the, the background of Martin Rinkhart, it probably makes no sense to praise God when you've witnessed such destruction. And we see that a lot even in our world today. But God calls us to praise. So let's take a look at Psalm 63. So Psalm 63, there's a a subtitle, and that's actually part of the Bible as well. So it's kind of like verse 0. And if you look at the heading, it says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So David, as we know, he's a king. He defeated Goliath. And he is one of the greatest kings, right? He's the greatest king in uh, history before Jesus comes. So it's a psalm of David. And we know that David wrote a lot of the psalms. But we also know that he had to run away and hide in the wilderness a couple times in his career. One time it was when Saul was after him. This is after Samuel anoints the young David as the next king. And Saul, through his jealousy, went after David. So David had to hide in the caves in the wilderness. The wilderness is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's, it's a desert. There's no water there. And it's hard to survive in the wilderness. So you would only run into the wilderness if someone is after you or if you want to just give up everything and seek God. Those are the only two times you would voluntarily go into the wilderness. So David was there when Saul was after him. But also there was another time in his life, later on in his life, where he had to go into the wilderness again. And that's when his son Absalom was after him. And if you look at the last verse of this psalm, he refers himself to the king. So based on that, verse 11, we know that this is not when Saul was after David's life, but when his own son was after his life. When your own son, when your own beloved son is coming after you, that's total disappointment, not just in you, but it's disappointment in God as well. And David knew that this is the consequence of his sin, of having an affair with 
Bathsheba and then killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So he knew that that was a consequence of that. And yet, still, it's hard. His heart probably was crushed and broken during this time. So that's the backdrop. That's the background of this psalm. This is not a joyous occasion where God has blessed him and he's giving praise to God. But this song, this, this psalm comes from a time when he's running away for his life and his own son is after him. And he starts the song by saying, Oh God, you are my God. Just from that we see the intimate relationship that David has with God. He remembers in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of running away for his life, he remembers that God is not just a God, but it is my God. He calls God my God. So you see the, the, the intimacy there. When I talk about my family, that's, I'm talking about my family. Right? I'm not talking about someone else's family. And so you see, when we call God my God, that means there's, there's intimacy there. And I wonder how many of us here gathered could call God my God. What would it take to call God my God? Well, it can't be when we just come and worship on Sundays only. And for the rest of the week, if you're not thinking about God, then he is not your God. But to be my God means during good times and bad times, I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about all the wondrous things that he has done for me and how he loves me and how he poured out his grace and mercy upon me. And only when we think about God that way and we have an ongoing dialogue and an ongoing relationship with God through prayer and the word can we call God my God. But that offer is for all of us here. We can call God my God. Is God your God? And because David calls out God my God, and we see that he has that special relationship with God, he could earnestly seek him. The fact that he is earnestly seeking him means God feels distant. Isn't that interesting? He's going through a period where God feels distant. And yet he still calls him my God. One pastor said that the absence of God is a sign of his presence. The fact that David is seeking God means that God is working in his heart. Because we are not on our own going to seek God. So the fact that David is seeking God means God is working in his heart. And when you are seeking God, that means God is working in your heart as well. So especially when you feel like God is not around you, that's evidence that he is around you. 
that you're noticing that God is not around means God is trying to get your attention. So don't give up hope when you're feeling that way. When God feels distant, then my prayer is that just as David was able to cry out to God, he is my God, that you cry out to God, God, you are my God. So how desperate is he to feel God's presence? Well, his soul is thirsting for God. His soul. He's in the wilderness. It's dry in the, in the wilderness. So you're thirsty all the time. And so physically, I imagine he was thirsty as well, but spiritually, he was longing for God. He was searching for God. He was hungry for God. And the only reason why he is hungry for God is because God is working in his life. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. My whole being is longing for God, is what he's saying, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So he's reminded how physically where he is is dry and weary and there's no water. So that's the spiritual condition of David. So if you're going through a dry period, because sometimes we do go through dry periods, don't give up hope. Praise God. Praise God that you're going through a dry period because God is working in your heart. Amen? So that's what David says. We see his intimate relationship with God that you and I both can have through Jesus Christ. And then he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Now, this is an interesting statement because he is out in the wilderness all by himself. He is not with his church. He is not with his community. He is running away for his life. I imagine he feels like a loser. Some king who's running away from his own son. And yet he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He is remembering the time when he was in the sanctuary and when he was worshiping God. So he is, he is looking back. He is re- recollecting of what happened when he was in the sanctuary. And when he was in the sanctuary, when he was standing before God and when he was worshiping God, he saw God's power and he saw God's glory. And this is why we need to meet and worship God as a community in the sanctuary. We need to physically meet. And when we physically meet God in the sanctuary, we too will experience God's power. And we too will experience God's glory. So when the day comes when we can't gather, we can still remember what it was like meeting in the sanctuary what it was like worshiping God and experiencing his power and his glory. So David is, has not forgotten that. So he's, he's looking back and he's remembering the times he was in the sanctuary. Sometimes 
for various reasons. Even when we want to come to church, we can't. We have congregation members now who are unable to come join us in worship because of their circumstances. I imagine, and when I talk to them, for those who can't be here, they imagine and they, they talk about worshiping God and they look forward to coming back and worshiping with the church. And so if you are able, we should always look forward to the day where we come into the sanctuary and, and see God's power and glory. Amen? So us being here today is a blessing. The fact that you are here today is a blessing. And my prayer is that when we leave this place, you could leave this place saying that you saw God's power and his glory. Amen? Yes. Getting goosebumps right now talking about that. And then he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So he's looking back, experienced the power of God. He's He saw the glory of God, and his conclusion is God's steadfast love, his covenant love for him is better than life. Yes, seeing God's power is important. Yes, seeing his glory is important. But his love, his love is better than than life. It's better than anything on earth. So you see, as, as David is crying out to God in the midst of his difficult time, his conclusion is God's covenant love is better than life. God's covenant love, the fact that God loves him is more important than his current situation and his life. He's changing his perspective. He's changing his perspective from him him and his troubles to God. And that's easier said than done. But David was facing death. And in the midst of that, he's able to say, God's love for me is more important anything here on earth. That's what it means to be a follower of God. Because we're going to run into situations here on earth where life is hard. And then we start devoting and drawing all of our attention to the problem that we have. Because that's natural. We want to fix our problems. But at what cost? Even in situations like that, we need to make sure that God is above that, that God is our number one priority. So many times in my life, and I've seen it in others as well, when the situation becomes so big and the problem is just unsolvable and your backs are against the wall, that we forget who God is and we forget who we are 
and we make our problems bigger than God. And when, the minute we do that, the minute we make our problems bigger than God is when we are declaring we don't trust in God. But brothers and sisters, God is trustworthy. Amen? His word, his promises are all trustworthy. So even when it feels like he's not there with you, let us remember that he is. That's evidence of his presence in our life. And let's, as David called out to God, let's cry out to God. And that starts with our relationship, as I said in verse 1. This, this relationship isn't developed overnight. So we need to spend time with God so that when we hit a wall, we're still able to go to God and cry out to Him, Oh God, You are my God. I have seen Your glory. I have seen Your power. And Your steadfast love, Your love for me, is better than life. David has that proper perspective. And when we come into God's house to worship him, that needs to be our perspective as well. He is better. His love for you is what matters most. And scripture promises that he does love. Our God is a God of love. A lot of people think that they don't deserve God's love. You do. Cry out to him. Experience his love. And when you do, you will naturally praise God. And that's his response. My lips will praise you. Remember, this is still while his son is after him. And so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. We are called to worship God. And isn't this just a beautiful way to worship him? Understanding who he is. As long as I live, I will bless you. That was his strategy, and that's his plan. And I think that's a wonderful strategy to adopt. As I'm getting older, I'm getting phone calls about, oh, you need to, you know, start planning for what to do when you retire, and, you know, do you have enough money, do you have enough this, do you have enough that, and, you know, I get stressed out because I don't have enough of anything. But the world is telling us, you know, you need to plan. You need to plan, right? But what about spiritually? What good is it that you have enough money and you don't have to worry about paying the bills if you don't have God? So we need to, we need to have a plan for our spiritual life as well. And here it is. Here's a blueprint is to praise God and bless Him as long as you live. Like, worship Him. But how do you do that? By 
thinking about who God is. Is he your God? It starts there. And then witnessing the power and the glory and experiencing his love in your life and knowing that that love is better than life. And praise God for that. And bless God with your life. What a beautiful way to worship God. What a beautiful expression of worship. And with that comes fulfillment. My soul will be satisfied. Earlier he said he was dry and thirsty. He was hungry for God. And now he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. It's not just fulfillment. It is complete fulfillment with the best. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. See, the praising continues. As I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night. Constantly meditating on God's word, meditating on his love, thinking about his love. Throughout the day, throughout the week, not just on Sundays. How do you live your life between Sundays? What is your relationship with God like between Sundays? May it be so as how David is, was. Meditate. Meditate on him. Meditate means to chew. Chew on his word. And just constantly repeat his word over and over again. And your soul will be satisfied as well. No matter what's going on in your life. And that's what it means when Scripture says that as believers we are to live by faith and not by sight. We don't let our circumstance dictate how we live, but we live by faith. And he says, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Do you see, do you picture protection, the protection of God, the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. God is depicted as the helper here, the protector, and the one who gives strength as he clings on to God. See, that intimate relationship is described here again, clinging on to God. That means I'm going to hold on to the truth no matter what is going on in my life. Hold on to Jesus. Cling on to him. Trust in his word. Trust in his promises. And go to him as your protector. And seek his help. Notice David is saying all this even before God shows up in his life to rescue him. He's he's still, nothing's changed. He's still running away. He's still hiding 
in the desolate place. And now the psalm turns a little bit. And it addresses his enemies. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be portioned for jackals. always challenging when you see this in scripture you know didn't jesus teach us to love our enemies right? so he says to love our enemies and then you read this and go wait wait a second here you're going to be destroyed you're going down you mess with me you're going down right? that's what it sounds like so what's behind this you know, and and many times um, in ministry settings, when you're frustrated with life or if there's an enemy after you, you know, I often counsel and many pastors counsel people, well, read through the Psalms because the emotions are raw. Right? And you can say those prayers that are in, uh, that's written in Psalm. And um, here's, here's one of them. Because there are days where you feel like this, amen? Where you want those who are seeking after you to be destroyed, given over to the power of the sword. But what's behind all this? What's behind all this is David trusting in God. He's trusting that God will deliver. He's trusting that God will take matters into his own hands, and he doesn't have to. And so... As we pray prayers like, like, like this, you know, what we're really declaring is, God, I trust you. It comes from a place of trust. Because the threat is real. It's not a made-up threat. His life is on the line. And when... We are threatened. That threat is real as well. So as David trusted in God, we ought to trust in God as well. And then the psalm ends by David declaring, but the king shall rejoice in God. Now it's interesting because in many of the psalms that David wrote, and when he ends with a doxology and a statement like this, he normally says, but I shall rejoice in God. But here, he says, the king shall rejoice in God. Why is that? Well, it's because... Basically, when, you're running, when he was running away in the wilderness, his, his identity was stripped. He didn't look like a king. No king runs away from his own son. And so when he was running away, when he was initially crying out to God, he had forgotten his calling as a king. 
And many times, when we hit a wall, we forget about the calling in our life as well because we're so focused on, on me. How do I take care of me? But as David cries out to God and he, as he thinks think about all the things that God has done for him and as he declares and as he praises that God's love for him is more important than anything else, his heart is transforming. He's turning back to God. And as he's turning back to God and as he's praising God, he is reaffirming the calling that God has placed in his life. And you notice how in verse 11, he's not saying, I shall, but no, 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 no. The king, the king shall rejoice in God. His calling has been reaffirmed. He remembered his calling. You see the restoration there that's coming from just praising God. Have you forgotten your calling because of what's going on in your life? Maybe God has called you to do something and you said, not now, later. I got all this other stuff to take care of. Sometimes when Pastors speak to people like, especially for service. Hey, would you like to serve as a deacon? Well, not now. Let me pray about it. A lot of times when people say, let me pray about it, they're basically saying no, but it's just in a nice way (laughs) because they don't want to hurt the pastor's feelings. (laughs) I get that. But, but, but why? If you're really called to serve, why are you running away from that calling? Where's your heart? Maybe your heart needs to turn around as David's heart turned around. Maybe you need to be in a place of praise and adoration and worship. So if that's you, I'm not saying say yes what I'm asking you to do is worship God and experience His love. Experience His love to the point where you say, His love for me is better than life. And when you get to that place, you'll remember your calling. And my prayer is that you will say that. But The king shall rejoice in God. But your servant will rejoice in God. And then he concludes, All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So we see a progression of David hitting rock bottom. And even though his circumstance did not change, at least not yet. We see his heart completely turn around where the king is restored. And what changed? Him remembering that God, even though he feels distant, is still with me. His absence is proof of his presence. And he is still 
the king. No one could take that away. No one could take God's calling in your life away from you. So the king was restored through praise and worship. Doesn't it just make you want to praise and worship God right now? Yes. But in order for the king to be restored, our king had to be abandoned. The only reason why David or why you, how you and I are able to cry out to God when things aren't going right The fact that we have this special intimate relationship with God is because of Jesus Christ. So he was abandoned so that you and I could be restored. When he was hanging on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so you could be accepted and restored. And so let's look to God. Let's look to Jesus, remembering that. And let's praise him. Let me ask you to rise, and let's, let's read these verses together. It's in one voice. Boldly proclaim, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Jesus, thank you. And that's how this hymn ends as well. Amen? Amen. Our God is... Just, he's all, he's all powerful, yes, but he is love. So just remember that. And the ultimate expression of his love was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So let's partake in this meal. Let's partake in communion, remembering Jesus' saving death on the cross. Let me just read this third verse again of the hymn. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Spirit blessed, who reign in highest heaven. The one eternal God, whom heaven and earth adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We worship you today, Lord God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing us how to worship. May we all say that we've seen you in the sanctuary, that we've, we've experienced your power, we've experienced your glory, and we've experienced your love. And Jesus, we thank you that you made that possible by dying on the cross, oh God. Thank you for coming here on earth, living the life that we should have lived but we couldn't, dying the death that we deserve, so that through your death and resurrection, 
have this intimate relationship with you, Father in heaven. Thank you. Lord, I ask that as we come to your table today, that you would meet us. Set apart the elements for a holy purpose. May the bread be to our faith, your body broken. May the cup be to our faith, your blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as we partake in communion, may may we proclaim your saving death, O God, until you return. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.